Catch up on all the live shows right here on africatechradio.com. Democracy has many forms and its practices and outcomes vary from nation to nation. Nigeria, like other countries of the world, is not left out of this sweeping wave of democratic awareness. Now, the question of whether Nigeria practices democracy or something close to it is a totally different question. Many people have defined democracy, but some ideals which have been consistent over the years with the most popular form of democracy are regular free and fair elections, freedom of expression and association, accountability of the state's administrative organs, universal suffrage, equal rights and participation of the local citizens in the formulation and implementation of development plans and as well security to the entire populace. Well, most importantly, democracy should be able to enhance the provision and equal distribution of resources and basic human needs. The advent of digital technologies have advanced the purpose and function of democracy and at the same time magnify the many disadvantages of the involvement of digital technologies in democracy. Since the will of the majority of the people is what democracy is dependent upon and information is at the center of the decision-making process, many would expect that the new digital village will automatically advance all areas of democracy. In Nigeria, just like in other countries in the world, political leaders have criticized new digital technologies for harming the central core of democracy, which is information. Has new tech played a fast one on Nigeria's democracy? And have we used it wrongly or are we approaching it wrongly? We're joined by a journalist and a women and children rights advocate who reports on health, politics, governance and gender a Thompson Reuters Foundation alumna and a Maternal Figures Fellow who has special interest in women's health, Chiamaka Okafo. Also, we have a development policy professional with some years of combined experience in development policy, media innovation, non-profit management, project development and capacity building. He currently leads the Natural Resource Extractives and Climate Change Policy Program of the Premium Time Center for Investigative Journalism. He is also an African ambassador on UNESCO's Media and Information Alliance and a champion with one campaign, Akitunde Babatunde. Welcome on board. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you for having me. And Chamaka. Good morning and thank you for having me too. There are many theories of democracy. For the sake of this conversation, let's set some ground rules. What major tenets should any democracy or every democracy have? And also, should there be a thing such as an African democracy in principle and in practice? Thank you, Anthony, for that question. So I'll take you from the bottom. I think democracy should be democracy everywhere, just like human beings are human beings everywhere. So I don't believe in a thing such as African democracy, of course, except, of course, we want to um, shortchange what democracy is and then have man-made features in there. So we have things like African democracy, Nigerian democracy, or probably Igbo democracy. So, yeah, I don't think there's... There should be such a thing as African democracy. So back to tenets of democracy, what every democracy should comprise of. For me, the first thing would be 
accountability democracy without accountability i i don't know what term to use for it but that's not democracy so there should be accountability there should be responsibility responsiveness there should be transparency there should be leadership i mean so we all keep saying leadership 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 but what's who is a leader what is leadership and so for leadership there should be empathy there should be attentiveness you should be able to relate with the needs and the feelings of people who you are leading but then do we see that in our own climb i'll leave that for you to figure out but this for me are what i think every democracy should be made of of course not forgetting equality liberty and yeah so liberty and freedom are almost the same thing in that context so yeah for me that's what tenets of democracy should be yeah thank you very much I also think democracy is democracy anywhere. It shouldn't be, you know, a function of a Nigerian democracy, you know, an African democracy or whatever. As we all know, democratic process should have a number of tenants that, that guides them that would say, yes, this process is democratic. And the first would be that there must be a system that, al- that, that allows choosing and replacing government through free and fair elections. And that's one, you know, where people are able to say, okay, this is who we want to lead us, and this is the process we want to engage in bringing our leaders to bear. And I think that's the first process that says, yeah, this process is democratic. And the second process would be that active participation of the people as citizens in politics and civic life. People then are saying that, yes, we voted this person in power, and we also have every right, we have every responsibility to hold this person accountable without fear of being intimidated by any process of the government, right? And I think that's, you know, I, those, that's also the second thing I think that the democratic process should bring on board. And the third that I think, in my opinion, would also work is the protection of human rights of all citizens regardless of who you are right you know your, your your human rights is sacrosanct and it must be protected you know either you have a thousand error in your account or you have a million dollars in your account the idea is that you are human and your right as human must be protected and i think that's what democracy is all about and the fourth before i, I get on for another question will be that a rule of law in which the law and the procedures apply equally to all citizens right where everyone will be judged will be taken care of by the law, regardless, you know, regardless of your color, regardless of your of where you come from, if you are Yoruba, if you are Ijo, if you are whatever, you know, your human rights, and you know, you are able to access rule of law, you know, without even if you don't have anything, you are sure that here, yeah, if you are facing injustice, then you are sure if you go to the court, you you will get justice. And I think these are the process that you know advances what we call democracy and i think that that that's my idea of what tenet of democracy should be now information plays a vital role in every democracy because it helps to determine what the majority decide the more information we have the better decision making we should make now are the heightened negative issues a reflection of the issues already existing in nigeria or is that just something wrong with the tech or the brains behind it? I would start with Akintunde and then get back to Chiamaka. Okay, thank you very much. I think when we talk of information in a democracy, I think it's the opportunity for everyone to hear their opinion, what we call freedom of expression. And I also understand that, yeah, we have the, you know, tech has enabled this process to be more expanded in the past couple of years. For instance, as of today, we have, you know, millions of messages that get to everyone in just a second right right now in the past years it's not like this so that has been that yeah technology has reformed the way we think the way we do things now 
how we use this technology then becomes a question of you know interrogation for instance social media has been a platform for disseminating information beyond what we can explain it's actually become you know the biggest newsroom in the world you know in the biggest continent i mean you know, facebook twitter and all that you know it affected our life and if you look at the current configuration of the nigerian ecosystem today you will see that it's, it's a major thing the, the two biggest protests that has happened in nigeria in the last two years the NSAS protest and the, the current june 12th protest was driven by social media right social media is uh, and this technology is is a space that has given people what we call in digital media counter public space and what do i mean by counter public space counter public space is when people who are oppressed who feel that they are not getting what they should get in the democracy come together you know to talk about what is their collective suffering and they then organize to become uh, to advance whatever you know cause they want to advance right so what how we use this then becomes how uh, we have players who also latch on this technology to to advance you know hate speech to advance fake news to advance disinformation misinformation and all that right so the, all these things are clusters that happen on the you know as a result of the fact that we have tech at our fingertips right so how we use this process and the consequences are on how as humans I, I mean as citizens of the country then becomes a topic of interrogation and i will be able to expand on that if we are trying to look into the nitty-gritty of how technology has you know evolved and how people have we have different players we have government as you know even as players in this you know crisis of disinformation or misinformation or fake news or whatever you or what have you we have the media you know in that ecosystem we have citizens we have people across we have you know in, you know propagandists we have a lot of other players in that space yeah that would be my thought on mm, that thank amazing you point there. amazing point amazing point today let's have your thoughts on this uh, so i don't think it's an issue with the tech and the brains behind it i mean so before tech became so ubiquitous in nigeria we've had these issues so it's a question of have we been intentional about tackling these issues or nipping them in the board so i i don't think it has anything to do with technology however like never before really like i can rightly said the world is experiencing an exponential inflow or even an information boom right now because of how pervasive and features the social media has become or technology has become so you can find information everywhere as a matter of fact everyone is now a producer of information you know depending on how you want to say it and also at the same time a consumer of information what we we say in communication parlance we call them prosumers so everybody now produces and consumes information at the same time however i think our problems today the heightened negativity we see across board in every part of the country has nothing to do with technology although technology contributes you know like akintila said we have issues with so there's an information disorder which comes with the information boom. You have fake news, disinformation, misinformation and the likes. But this is just a little percentage of the whole. So I would say, you know, these are problems that have existed right before technology came into prominence like it is now. Now misinformation, disinformation and malinformation see more evidence in this digital age. So Chimaka, help us better understand these terms and how they have impacted Nigeria's democracy. Okay, misinformation, disinformation, and malinformation. This is how I like to help everyone understand this and how I understand it too. 
I mean, so it's difficult for me to forget it whenever I do it this way. So misinformation, take from the word mystic, right? It's not an intentional act. So when misinformation happens, people share inaccurate information, not with the intention of misleading others, but most times or always, they do not know that this is not a factual information. And this could come from their trust circles because I get information from Akintunde and I, I trust that Akintunde would give me, you know, anything that is false. So once he gives it to me, I begin to circulate it. Of course, sometimes Akintunde might not also know that this information is false and he might know, but because he believes or he knows I trust him and this is our trust circle, take it and go on with it. It's just like a kid who is told by their teacher or by their parent that A is for ball. You know, you can hardly convince that child that A is not for ball because I, I trust my parents to tell me the truth. I trust my teacher to tell me what is right, you know, and so I carry it and move on with it. That, um, what's that now? That's misinformation. Then for disinformation, I think this is a pop balance when you're dissing someone. So with the intention to to break them or to inflict pain or to harm them, right? So disinformation is sharing information which you are fully aware that this information is not factual, it's filled with, it's a hoax and then you share it because you have an intention to mislead people, you have an agenda you want to propagate and so you, you share false information, that's disinformation. And malinformation is somewhat similar to this information really uh, there's a thin line between disinformation and malinformation and for me so that thin line between disinformation and malinformation is a fact that fabricated information fake details deliberately pu um, publicized and these details are private information which are um, for personal or yeah for personal use rather than for public use so you they are mostly done for revenge purposes so let me correct myself. For malinformation, it's not necessarily a false information, but if I'm privy to private information about a person or a corporate body, I do this just to be vengeful. So it's usually done when you want to take revenge for personal reasons. So it's never in the in the public of the interest when people project malinformation. So for malinformation, I would like to see from the point of malice, right? So I, I try to use words that we're familiar with in our day-to-day -day transaction to help myself and other people understand this. So for misinformation, I take the word mistake. For disinformation, I use dissing. And for malinformation, I, I use malice because this could be true or there could be a twist. But for my, that's malinformation, right? It could be true, there could be a twist. But it's not in the interest of anyone than yourself. And because you want to inflict pain yeah, on the party involved, you go ahead to publicize information that is not in the interest of the public. I think Akintinde will have a better explanation of this because he's like an expert here. Thank you. Okay, so uh, before Akintinde gets into that, a lot of youth, especially on social media platforms, have been accused of working against the interest of democracy in Nigeria. Now, looking at the demographics in Nigeria, those aged 40 plus, 40 to 84, make up about 18%. The 15 to 39 age group make up about 39%, while the 0 to 14 age group make up about 43%. Now, one would think that this 15 to 39 age group would be at the steering wheel 
of political democracy in Nigeria. Now, what role should the youthful population in Nigeria, who have a larger number and more access to digital technologies, be playing uh, in creating a Nigeria where they are truly included in the political process and in driving democracy? So I think the, the event of the past few days or the past few months, where you see young people now becoming aware of the realities of the country has only tried to you know put into perspective how best to answer your question. Nigeria is a country with about 60% population. A young person, a young, a young population, you know, is a country of a young population. And if you look at, at that process, you would see that these young people, they have energy to advance, you know, any disruption they want to get on. And this is evident in this space that you will see the fintech space, for instance, you will see the technology space ecosystem. And let me not even you know narrow it down to one sector. The tech ecosystem in Nigeria today, you will see that in, even in Africa, in the world, Nigerian young persons are disrupting the space. And that's you know, that tells you the extent to which these people are ready to take charge of your future. The hence protests, the June 12 protests driven by young people has also shown the discontent that has come to stay you know with the political process and the governance process of our country and i think what we need to do now for young people to take charge like you asked is to divest all this energy all this anger all this knowledge these skills to a political movement that would disrupt the entire space and that would be with a lot of strategy that would then advance what do we do with these to advance development in our country how do we get on this to solve unemployment challenges how do we get on this to solve the extreme poverty that is now in that has made nigeria the headquarters of such in the world and i think this is the best way that would then make us to, because we are already taking charge young people are already evolving in that process young people are now able to confront any challenges that they think would undermine the future of our generation and i think the next expect to get on is now to organize and then be more intentional in political process and that would be not just registering for pvc but also taking a step forward to engage the political process at the grassroots from bottom up the process and then we have a lot of energy to that to to then expand in making sure that that process becomes really interesting because not just politics we also look at the, the governance process we look at the policy process and then we have to disrupt the entire space with the current energy that we have the current skills and all that that is in play because any young people in nigeria can disrupt the tech ecosystem in the world look at how, how, how amazing it would be to disrupt other sectors and of course the, the, the decision making process of our democracy which is the politics and the governance architecture in this space. Over to you, Chemaka. Regulation of digital media sources has been proposed severally in Nigeria. Should we be talking about regulation? Plus, where do we draw the line between regulation and restriction? Regulation of media sources, digital media sources. Well, so for me, it's quite laughable because at what point do you begin to tell the media who their sources should be or what their sources should be? And as we continue to advance, so you're saying open sourcing should. So that's what you're saying invariably, that open sourcing is, is a no-no. But we've over time seen what open sourcing can do and how it helps so much. And we, we saw this prominently during the NSAS protest with the various forensic reports that came out. And no one was spoken to nobody spoke to me 
or to Anthony or to you, Gloria, or to Akinton Day. This was pure open sourcing. And, you know, details were out there for people to see. Verifiable facts were out there, which for me is, so speaking from a journalism perspective, verifiable facts are sacred. They are like the yes and amen of the profession. So you can't put things out there that people cannot verify. So if you want to begin to detect to people in this space on who their sources should be, it's no longer a regulation, really. You're beginning to restrict. So at this point, there's a thin line between regulation and restriction. Or pro I would like to say that the line between regulation and restriction has been covered. So we can't see it anymore. Regulation here now is restriction, and restriction is regulation. Because uh, from my understanding of what regulation is, it's you know the do's and don'ts of a certain profession. And these do's and don'ts should not be ridiculous do's and don'ts. You know, So you can't say to me, do not speak to so so and so because I, I i don't want that to happen i don't know if if you get the sense i'm trying to make but for me it's it's really laughable that we want to begin to restrict or regulate digital sources how do you do that in a digital age how do you begin to tell people that no you can't use digital sources when the world has moved in fact I, by 2022 or 2023 nigeria would have turned off analog so if you are saying in a Nigeria where analog will soon be turned off in a couple of years, people shouldn't use digital sources. Do, do you not see the oxymoron there? The laughable one, actually. You're switching off analog and you're telling people not to use digital sources. I, I want to leave this as, you know, things for us to ponder upon because there's really no definite answer or response to what's going on. It's a continuous thinking process for everyone in Nigeria and of course the world at large because what's going on here is seen in other parts of the world. In most parts of the world really, we saw what happened in Belarus the last time where an opposition journalist activist was arrested, his plane was turned back and he was arrested. So you would imagine that this could be where we are heading to, but I hope not. But if we continue to restrict divergent voices or dissent voices by saying, oh, digital sources are prohibited in this climate, then we really need to put in a lot of work and we have, we are up against something great, something hilarious here. Yeah. Okay, just a follow-up on that. For the regulatory authorities, there should be, that's it, if, if, I would, if I would speak for them, there should be some form of regulation of whatever industry or sector exists in a country or a nation or even in a democracy. So does regulation inherently mean restriction or would there be a, a way regulation would go and it would make it mean good for democracy and mean good for the people of Nigeria? Yeah, so we really have to be careful what we do, the kind of regulations we, we bring in. So the TNCs of regulations or what we refer to as regulation need to be thoroughly you know, scrutinized to make sure we're not moving into an authoritarian regime in regulating the media. For example, one of the regulations says that we should not broadcast things that will compromise the national security of the state, of the nation, right? Now, that's a regulation. But if you are saying we should not listen or have people who have different views from what you stand for, we should not speak to them because their views are not in line with yours, then that is not a regulation. So what, so what you are doing is 
restricting people's freedom of expression and freedom of speech and which we as a nation have assented to with the un charter and this is section 39 of the constitution so how do you start to override the constitution which is like the supreme power of any democracy of any nation and we have a constitution right here so what i'm trying to say is of course regulations are needed right we need we need guiding principles we need ground but then we should be careful not to in the guise of regulation start bringing in restrictions or things that won't work for our democracy or for our development so chemaka let, let's just stay with you for let's let's just call it the last time right so traditional media sources have been known to be the watchdog or are the watchdog that any democracy should have and is the fourth arm of government but this fourth arm of government is currently in a poor state when we're speaking you use the word crisis now what are the implications of new media options in nigeria's digital democracy yeah like my boss to say the nigerian media is in a state of crisis it's in crisis and i love it so much when he says that because it actually captures what's going on it's a crisis there's no sustainability for media the funding for media is not available we saw that in the wake of the COVID-19 lockdown, how many media persons had to be laid off for because they couldn't be paid. So how else, what's the better way to put it than saying the media is in a crisis, right? And so you ask the question of how the new media can fill in this space. I think that's where your question is. So what the new media has brought is a lot that we are grateful for, but it, it doesn't come without its own shortcomings, right? So. It's come with expanded access to information, to whatever you can think of, but there's expanded access. Information is more available, you know. We So we have a plethora of options to choose from. This is what the new media has afforded us right now. You know, there are more producers of information. There's an exponential information boom. It's, it also helps us to create a preferential list, right? A, a list of preference a sectionalized audience so for this sectionalized audience it's not like it wasn't in existence before but what the new media has done is it has essentialized you know what we see now so if you want to read up on agric details you know you can just quickly do this type it in your search engine you don't have to scroll to the page of a newspaper before you get to it you know where to find it or oh, this is the column for this you want to read up on security and beyond that we've also seen a rise of specialized media organizations I'll, I'll give you an example we have home angle so if you want to read on security you know this is what the new media has done you move on to home angle you know because they provide in-depth security reporting for people to see if you want to read up on investigative journalism, you have the premium times there to read up from. You have the cable. So there are a lot of them. You want to talk about data. You have data files. You have budgets. You also have FIJ, which is a new investigative journalism platform. So this is what the new media has afforded us. You know, there's we've been able to sectionalize, compartmentalize these things. And so people can choose their preference, what they want to do. It has also provided new revenue channels for the media. And so now that we see that advertising revenue is not something we can fall back on like we used to before, now media houses have moved on to subscription, 
which is like easy breezy because everyone wants to know what is happening so um, it's not too much to ask of your audience to pay a certain amount of money to access information for a year and so this is also an innovative economic model for media houses and these are innovations you know the new media has brought with it so essentially i do not think the new media has displaced the legacy media or the older traditional media like we always refer to it. what it has done it, it, it has it has given it a new face really you know it has provided a new platform for people to be able to read as much as they can from wherever they are you know, so before now we had newspapers that were essentially located in the north that only northerners had access to and we had those that only people in the west had access to and likewise people in the east but that's not obtainable now wherever you are in the world you can read any newspaper in nigeria you want to read so i do not think the new media has this space rather it has provided an avenue to to become better yeah there are some media platforms in nigeria that engage in fact checking and other data-backed investigative journalism. But one major issue has been availability and accessibility to open government data. How much good will it do to Nigeria if the government data is available and accessible by all? Thank you very much. Uh, you actually mentioned a very interesting, very interesting topic that accountability advocates uh, fact-checking platforms have been facing in the last couple of years even despite the fact that we have the freedom of information act in nigeria that allows citizens you know access to any information that is uh, any government you know data or information in that space i think the reason why we don't have much data to work with would be because of the intention behind the work we do and the intention behind the the politics of government civil servants and what have you i know that at some point when i was working on a, a research recently i wanted to get data on how much a particular agency has you know spent in the last 20 years believe you me we sent foy to daily different government agencies and for two months there was no response from them and that speaks to how bad things are in the in the country with regards to holding data most government in fact i tell you today most state government in nigeria they continually fight the Freedom of Information Act, saying it is not their own law, it's a federal law. NNPC would not release information just because they think they are not bounded by the law to release, you know, details of all that. And that has actually crippled accountability work in the country. That has actually crippled fact-checking engagement. That has actually given us not much perspective to, to, to adequately hold government to account. Because if government come on board to say they have spent this amount of money on a particular project or this is how much we have in our foreign reserve or this is how much we have on the excess food account or whatever or whatever data they are even speaking about and we don't have immediate data to debunk to verify or to ascertain the veracity of such claims it becomes difficult for us to have perspective and to adequately hold them to account in that space so i think i'm moving forward the nigerian government should be intentional and sincere in money up to the provisions of the law the freedom of information act especially allowed citizens to ask questions regarding how much the commonwealth is being shared is being spent on development projects and all that right and it is not i know chamaka will tell you how, how how challenging it has been for them to be able to access subnational budget on the udm project and that tells you how difficult it has been for Dubawa, for instance the fact-checking platform to get data on issues on the sector that are not in the public space Nigerian government should be intentional and I think if once that is done then accountability advocates journalists 
policy professionals will be able to adequately put perspective into the work they do because it is blanket for you to say you have 50 10 million people of poverty if we don't have data in the public space to debunk or validate such right it then leaves everybody into confusion to say okay you're saying this blanket and then we have no 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 nothing to, to, to show for it in that sense and i think that that, that was my talk hmm. amazing thought they are key to the openness so that we exactly know where we are as a country and then we're not just um hinging on some beliefs that we are not even sure about the statistics and we don't even know exactly what's going on i think i agree with you on that one openness is very very important from the government even as much as we celebrate today as democracy day we've been speaking to a journalist chiamaka okafo and a development policy professional akintudik babatunde thank you both for sharing your thoughts with us thank you for having us thank you very much for having us Thank you. Um, it's becoming clear what we do and do not know about digital democracy in Africa. We know that digital technology is acting as a disruptive force that simultaneously has liberating and destructive potential. Uh, but we hope that Nigeria can harness the liberating potentials of digital technologies to further our democracy. Thanks for listening and don't forget to catch up on all the live shows right here on africatechradio.com.